Are you tough enough to ride with the polecats? Well, this week you get to find out with Full Throttle on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the Upper Memory Block podcast. As usual, I am your host, Joe, back with you once again to talk about a game from the pre-Windows XP and DOS, I said it backwards this time around, gaming era. Well, I hope everyone is fully recovered from the holidays and New Year's. I know last time I talked to you guys, it was New Year's Day, so quite a few of you might have had uh, been a little bit tired, had a hangover. Something like that from your uh, from your festivities on uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, I, you know, I I had a good holiday, and, but I'm kind of glad the holidays are over. Uh, you know, it, even though they're they're a fun and enjoyable time, they also can be stressful with having to run around different places, be with people all the time, and and just kind of uh, you know, I guess as much fun as they are, there's also a lot of expectation and a lot of responsibilities of you know things that need to happen during the holidays. So frankly, by the end of it all, uh, I was quite happy to, to, uh, to get back to work and get start having life, uh, you know, get a bit more back to normal. But enough of that, enough of me complaining about the fact that I had too much time off because that's ridiculous. Uh, I guess we should just get to the news. So a little bit of news this week. I guess the big news of... Uh, of, of this week in particular is that uh, the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, is currently going on. And now that does have a little bit of impact on, on the stuff that I talk about, if only for one or two little uh, little reasons. Uh, those being, one, uh, Steam revealing their Steam box, which uh, I haven't done too much research. I, I've barely even looked at it. I've just kind of heard in passing. But uh, it seems as though... The Steam Box will provide functionality to play uh, Steam games from your Steam library on your TV. Now, I'm not 100% sure if uh, that entails streaming them from your computer to the Steam Box or if the Steam Box kind of holds games uh, themselves. So, you know, uh, I guess that probably bears a bit more looking into or if anyone wants to drop me kind of a little... Uh, a little info blurb, either an audio or an email form about the Steam Box, then uh, then let me know. Because if, you know, I know there's a lot of games that we do play that are available on Steam, like, uh, I guess, the original XCOMs come to mind. Uh, there's some LucasArts stuff on there, like, uh, like Monkey Island and Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Like, if I could play Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis on my 46-inch LCD TV as opposed to my computer screen, that'd probably be a pretty cool thing to do so you know a lot more stuff at ces stuff that i, I couldn't even keep on top of even if i, I tried because frankly i haven't been because i know there's too damn much but um but yeah i'm not going to give a link or anything like that uh maybe I'll, I'll link the steam box but uh ces my lord you just have to open the internet and you get inundated with uh, hey these weird tvs are out and there's uh, a weird keynote going on from the ceo of qualcomm where Big Bird was in it and stuff like that. So anyways, uh, lots of stuff going on at CES uh, to this week. So feel free to check it out. 
So, in other news, aside from CES, uh, two weeks ago, or just about two weeks ago, shortly after the last episode, I came across a Kickstarter project that I was I was quite surprised flew under my radar. It is called Elite Dangerous, and if uh, you take the name for what it is worth, you can guess pretty quickly that this project is an attempt to create a modern version of the original space trading game, Elite. So if you guys don't know about Elite, it came out back in the 80s. I'm not sure the exact year because I haven't really looked it up, but and uh, it kind of created the model for space trading games, games like uh, Wing Commander Privateer, Freelancer, even uh, Independence War II that we talked about last week. You know, it's kind of the model for the type of game where you start off with kind of a crappy starship and a little bit of money and you fly around the galaxy trading and defending yourself, slowly upgrading your ship, slowly making, you know, delivering bigger loads, making more money and, uh, you know, eventually ruling the spaceways with uh, your your economic prowess. So Elite Dangerous is uh, a project that is started by a company called Frontier Developments out of Cambridge in the United Kingdom. Uh, the project has successfully funded. I came across it originally with only about 33 hours, 34 hours left in the... Uh, in, in the Kickstarter campaign, now they were trying to raise 1.25, one and a quarter million pounds. Now they did that. They actually ended up raising 1,578,316 pounds. So that's great. The project funded. They got quite a bit of money there to potentially make a really great game. And, uh, you know, reading through, watching the videos, it seems it seems pretty cool. And hopefully, again, just like with uh, with Chris Roberts and his Star Citizen, which is you know, somewhat different, but also somewhat the same in, uh, in idea. Uh, maybe these, you know, ones, like I said last week, the space sim genre may be seeing a bit of a resurgence. Now, again, uh, we haven't seen anything yet, even from uh, Star Citizen, because I think that's only coming out in uh, another year or so, if everything goes according to plan. But, you know, if you were a fan of Elite, or if you're a fan of space trading games in general then definitely check out Elite Dangerous. I know even though the Kickstarter campaign is closed, most campaigns tend to keep uh, a PayPal account open if people want to pledge after the campaign and stuff like that. So feel free to check it out. As usual, I will post a link to the Elite Dangerous Kickstarter campaign in the show notes. Finally in the news, if you guys remember way back, I guess one of the first Kickstarter campaigns I heard about and uh, backed, and actually the, the thing that brought me to Kickstarter in the first place was the uh, Leisure Suit Larry Reloaded Kickstarter campaign uh, run by Replay Games and Larry creator Al Lowe. Well, every week or so, Josh Mandel, who's kind of running the, uh, running the show over there and who actually worked on, on Space Quest as well, I may have mentioned his name in the Space Quest episode, he's a former Sierra guy, uh, he tends to send out an email every week or so just kind of talking about what's going on. Well, in the email this week, he uh, he mentioned that the Larry that Larry Reloaded is on track for a Q1 2013 release. Well, what does that mean? Well, we are currently in Q1 2013. So, the game should be out in the first quarter of the year. That's that's pretty impressive. They said they're on track, the developers are on track, they're on track with all their other resources, and uh, you know, Kickstarter rewards will likely be going out around the same time the game ships. So this, if it does meet uh, meet its deadline that they've imposed on it, uh, will be the first 
Kickstarter game that I've personally backed where I'm actually going to see uh, a result. And from what I can see so far, it's looking real great. It's looking really cool. Uh, you know, it, it's still keeping the original flavor of the Leisure Suit Larry series, but it's definitely bringing it up into uh, into into the modern times, into modern technology. You know, it's not 3D. It's still still animated, still 2D kind of uh, classic adventure game style, but but with a kind of a modern twist. So I'm really excited to see this. I'm a big fan of Larry. It's definitely a series that I'm going to cover on the show. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll hold that off until the game actually comes out. And, uh, you know, actually, that is a good idea. I am going to make a note of that. That's that's a good plan. So if you like Leisure Suit Larry, if you pledged on the game, if you didn't, but you're interested to see what's going on with it, I'll post a link in the show notes. And I hope that it comes out real soon and I will have hopefully a lot to say about it. So time for some email. I got just one email this week. I didn't get any from the regulars. I know it's a it's a weird time kind of getting back into the swing of things after the holidays, but I did get one email and in fact it is a voicemail. So if you guys remember last show, Andreas asked about the intro and outro music. Well, as I said, I asked the man himself, Rick Moyer, and he dropped me a little message explaining how uh, the theme song came around came about a little bit more. So take it away, Rick. Hi, Joe and everybody at the Upper Memory Block podcast. Wanted to uh, respond real quick to a question that was asked. My name is Rick Moyer, and I did the theme song for the Upper Memory Block podcast. And I was going to answer how I came about the clips that I did. Here's what I here's what happened. Uh, Joe was saying that he was going to do a podcast, and he was thinking he was crazy for doing it, and I thought it was a great idea. He shared with me the concept of it, and I thought it was awesome. And so I had an idea in my head for what a good intro would be and some bumpers and stuff. And so I kicked it around, and I said, can I can I help you with the theme song? And he said, yeah, sure. So what he told me more about the podcast and what he was going to be covering and, and kind of the idea behind it. And so what I did, here's how I did it. I went, um, got my iPad. And I opened up a program that I was using at the time um, called Alchemy. And I found a cool drum beat that I really liked and played around with it until I got the tempo I wanted. So I recorded that onto my my uh, computer. Then I took a synthesizer that I have and made some sounds and music to go with it. Not a whole lot, but some effects and stuff. Then I uh, also used the Vocorder app on my iPad to do the vocals and stuff on it. And uh, then I went out and I found clips, audio clips from the different games that uh, Joe had mentioned that he was going to be covering. And I didn't, I did not have all the games, so I couldn't sample them myself. So I had to go around and look. So I looked on YouTube and I looked on uh, just on the net looking for free sound bites that I could use, uh, samples that I could put in the in the song. And sure enough, I found a ton of different ones. So they were in no particular order. In fact, um, I think Joe has played the extended version where we have Wing Commander and a bunch of other different uh, Space Quest and tons of other theme songs that are built into it as well. Uh, and so that's what I did. I, you know, I kind of made it long and, and so I don't think Joe uses the whole entire thing all the time, but uh, I I put all these different clips in because I liked them. I thought they were cool. So the whole uh, choose, you know, choose this or die or whatever that says, um, that was just random. There was nothing to do with anything. And uh, 
it just was one of the games that I found that he was going to cover. And I, that particular clip sounded fun. So I put it in there. I would never thought of it being um, bad or nasty or, or ill will, just part of the game. So there you go. That's my explanation of how the theme song came to be and why that particular line was put in there. So <laughs> here's here's to an awesome podcast, Joe. Thanks for the the upper memory block. Love it, love it, love it. Well, thank you, Rick. That's great. You know, I, I really do love hearing. Maybe it's because I'm I'm a you know I'm a, I'm a technical guy. I'm a, a programmer by day kind of thing. I like doing all this podcasting, audio recording stuff and, and, and things like that. So I really do like hearing, you know, how the sausage is made. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, you guys listening, being that you're listening to a podcast where I go into great detail about, you know, these games and how they play and how they're made and what problems were encountered and what successes they had and what, you know, makes them special and, you know, technical achievements and, and, and things like that about them. I'm sure you guys like hearing this stuff too. So, you know, th- thank you, Rick. It's It's very interesting. You know, I'm not particularly musically creative myself so it's very interesting to me to hear how you you can go about doing these things so so great wonderful and uh of course if you guys want to check out rick and his stuff and his cool musical creations he's got all kinds of stuff at mariomultimedia.com he's got really cool star trek parody songs at star trek parodies.com i believe it is all that so uh yeah wonderful thank you so much now let's get on with the show you're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for And now on to the main topic, the 1995 LucasArts Adventure Full Throttle. Full Throttle is a standalone adventure developed and published by one of my all-time favorite dev houses, LucasArts. So Full Throttle is, of course, a LucasArts scum-based adventure game that is obviously the genre that it is in it is an adventure it is built on the scum engine this will be the third scum game we cover others included our very first game way back in episode one with sam and max hit the road and then loom in episode 11 full throttle sticks to the basic premise we set up in those other shows adventure games take the player through a linear narrative split up by character interactions inventory and logic puzzles and some minimal arcade style action sequences Where LucasArts adventures differ is in difficulty and in length. Uh, LucasArts adventures are very forgiving. There are generally very, very few ways, and usually actually no ways, to play yourself into an unwittable state, nor are there ways to end the game in death. That's especially noticeable in Full Throttle, as we shall see. Uh, With regard to length, LucasArts adventures tend to be somewhat short. But enough reiteration, if you want to hear about the LucasArts subgenre of adventure games, how it compares to other subgenres like the Sierra-style adventure games, etc., you can jump back to episode 1, you can jump back to episode 11. I talk about them in a lot of detail there. I won't bore you guys by repeating the same thing over and over again. Suffice it to say, LucasArts adventure games are a genre unto themselves. They have a lot of different little foibles and specific uh, you know, paradigms and, and, and ways they go about things, and that is that. So being that this is an adventure game, the main focus of things is the story and the setting. So the game opens looking out across a lonely desert road stretching through the dirt, rocks, and bluffs. We will soon find out that this road is called Highway 9. We then hear a voice. It's Ben, our main character. He sounds tired, and he's talking about a girl. 
smell asphalt, I think of Marine. That's the last sensation I had before I blacked out. The thick smell of asphalt. And the first thing I saw when I woke up was her face. She said she'd fix my bike. Free. No strings attached. I should have known then that things are never that simple. Yeah, when I think of Marine, I think of two things. Asphalt and trouble. We then cut to a futuristic-looking hover limo. Two besuited businessmen are in back. One's very old, and one's about middle-aged. The older man is clearly pretty damned unhappy. Rip Burger, you're dumber than dirt! Oh, Mr. Corley, if you'd only listen to my plan, my vision. I know your plan, Rip Burger. You're waiting for me to die so you can take over my company. Well, sir, that's horrible. I am not waiting for you to die. You know I've never liked you, Rip. But you have business know-how and killer instincts that I respect. Why, thank you, sir. But this latest idea of yours... Riding up to our shareholders' meeting with a gang of bikers? Who do you think you're fooling? The shareholders, sir. It's good PR to be seen hobnobbing with real Corley Motors customers. What do you know about our customers, Adrian? You've never even been on a bike. Well, you know I'd be on one right now, sir, if it weren't for my destabilizing inner ear condition. Ah, your ears are fine. It's what's between them that scares me. So who were those guys? Well, it looks like it's Ben and his gang, the Polecats. Ben jumps right on top of the limo, running over the roof onto the onto the hood and crushing the limo's hood ornament. This starts off, as you just heard, a pretty rockin' credit sequence where we see lots of vanity shots of Ben and his bike rolling down the open road. The world looks like it's barren and it sucks, but Ben and his guys rule it. Once all is said and done, we cut to a roadside bar, which is called, I believe, the Kickstand, where Ben and the Polecats have stopped for a break. Hey, Ben. Hmm. You know, Ben, we're broke. Yeah. And if some cash doesn't come our way soon, we're in big trouble. Relax. I have a feeling something's coming our way. Something big. Uh, you better stay out here, Rip. This place is bikers only. <laughs> All right! Who's the guy that drove over my car? What could possibly be taking so long? Maybe old man Corley got himself in trouble. Yeah, maybe they took the old guy out back and worked him over with a two-by-four. Hmm, an appealing notion, but improbable. 
More likely he's boring them to death with some tale of the glory days. <laughs> but Malcolm, isn't that illegal? Not back then it wasn't. <laughs> so who do you ride with these days? He rides with me. Although I'm sure he'd much rather be riding with your little club. I told you to wait out in the limo, Rip Burger. I thought you might like some help with your sales pitch, sir. Sales pitch? Yes. We've come here today to offer you and your men employment. Mr. Corley requires an escort to the annual Corley Motors shareholders meeting. Does this look like an escort service to you? You would be well compensated for your time, of course. Not interested. It's uh, fairly obvious that you could use the money. Listen, I said we're not for rent. The polecats are not goons for hire. Not even if it were Malcolm Corley's dying wish? Rip Burger! That does it! I'm gonna... Hold on there, Malcolm. If you don't mind, I'd like to step outside with Mr. Ripburger for a little chat. Excellent idea. And the doctor says he only has a few months to live. That's bad news for all of us. He's not just a nice guy. He's also the last motorcycle maker in the country. What happens to Corley Motors if he dies? Don't worry. I have a plan. And if you come to the shareholders meeting with us, you'll find out what it is. No dice, Ripburger. The polecats are not thugs for rent. If you want to buy muscle, you should go find the rotwheelers. The old man says it's the polecats are nothing. Then I guess it'll have to be nothing. Hmm. And that's your last word? That's it. Well, I'd like to make you just one final offer. <sighs> Bolus, take this coat and go get his motorcycle. We'll have to tie up this little 200-pound loose end. <laughs> It'll need to look like an accident. That stuffed shirt actually thinks I'll leave him in control of Corley Motors when I go. Boy, is he in for a surprise. Hey, where's Ben going? Your colleague has decided to accept our generous offer after all. As a matter of fact, he's gone on ahead to scout out the route. He did? Well then, let's roll him, boys! Yahoo! So, if you didn't gather it from the audio, Rip Burger's goons smack Ben upside the head with a 2x4 and dispose of him in the dumpster behind the kickstand. He wakes up to find that the polecats have gone along with Ripburger and Corley under the false impression that Ben is riding ahead. Ben walks in the bar and, um, I guess we could say, aggressively interviews the bartender. He finds out his gang, as we just said, went off with Ripburger, but is in fact riding into an ambush up ahead. He has to go and intercept them before they ride right into trouble.
So on his way, he encounters a Rottweiler, a member of a rival biker gang. The Rottweiler and Ben fight, which you get to control. Ben handily wins and uh, in victory pops a high-speed wheelie on his bike. This is when we find out how Ripburger decided to dispose of Ben. In the midst of his victory wheelie, the front wheel of Ben's Corley Motors motorcycle drops right off. In a feat of amazing riding, Ben actually holds it together for a few seconds on his back wheel. Inevitably, though, the now empty front forks of his bike come down and the sparks start flying, resulting in a fiery crash off on the side of the highway. Ben survives, but is laying semi-conscious for quite a few hours until a roving reporter spots his wreck and starts taking photos for her editor. She realizes he's alive and begrudgingly decides to help him out by bringing him to the nearby town of Melonweed and dropping him and his wrecked bike off with a local toaster repairwoman named Maureen. Ben comes to, seeing Maureen's face enshrouded in a gas mask. What are you? I'm a mechanic, and apparently a pretty good doctor as well. My name's Maureen. My name's Ben. Why did you hit me over the head, Maureen? You were in an accident. A reporter found you and brought you and your bike here. My bike? What have you done with my bike? Brought it back from the dead. Sort of like what I did with you. I need a little help getting it finished, though. How's it look? It looks better than it did, but you gotta help me out. The front forks are wasted, so you'll have to get some new ones. And someone stole my welding torch. Can you believe that? I can't finish without one. And last but not least, I patched up your ruptured gas tank, but you're out of fuel and I don't have any. Where am I supposed to find all this stuff? You can hack it, tough guy. How am I supposed to find your torch? I don't know. Set up a dragnet. Still can't believe someone would steal my torch. Who around here would do a thing like that? You're right. No problem. Good. Well, I'll let you get back to work. Let me know if you need any aspirin or anything. So that's basically the intro and the first little bit of gameplay. Frankly, the gameplay in this game is very secondary to the story, so I'll break into the gameplay section from here and explain a bit more of the story as I go through the details of the interface and all that noise that I usually talk about. So that last exchange between Mo and Ben is typical of the game. You'll encounter someone who will effectively provide you with a quest. In Maureen's case, right now, she needs you to find replacement front forks for your bike, her stolen welding torch, and gas for your currently dry gas tank. Conveniently, all these things are available in the town of Melonweed. Ben gets around in usual adventure game fashion. You direct him around the world using your mouse pointer. It's a crosshair. When the mouse passes over a hotspot, the pointer highlights with a red box. This means the object under the pointer is interactive. Holding down the left mouse button pops up your interface menu. It's a cool looking kind of action wheel that pops up. It's styled along the lines of a flaming biker tattoo. On the left, there's a fist, which represents the use of Ben's hands. Now this could result in an action as mundane as opening a door or picking something up. Uh, it may also result in Ben using his hands in a more aggressive manner. He is not opposed to punching and hitting things. 
On the right side of the wheel, there is a boot. This almost always results in a swift kick to whatever object is highlighted. Ben's quite good at kicking indoors. At the top of the wheel, there's a skull. Its eyes represent look or inspect, and its mouth usually means talk. Along the bottom of the wheel is a ribbon with the name of the object highlighted written in it. I actually think I should bring something up here. Now that we've looked at three different LucasArts adventures, we can note that we've also seen three different implementations of the same basic adventure game command set. Sam and Max had kind of the more traditional Sierra AGS, uh, or sorry, not AGS, SCI-inspired set of, uh, of icons along the top of the screen. Loom had its very unique music-based interface that, you, that had you actually unlocking different actions throughout the game. And finally, now we have full throttle with this kind of cool context-sensitive action wheel type interface. It's interesting to me to make note of these variations on a theme. LucasArts was quite good at mixing things up, whereas other adventure game makers tended to stick to a tried-and-true interface formula. So say with Sierra, if you played King's Quest II, or maybe not King's Quest II, but maybe say you played King's Quest V, or you played... Space Quest 6, or you played Leisure Suit Larry 4. Leisure Suit Larry 4 didn't exist, sorry. Leisure Suit Larry 5 or 6. You know, when you played all those games that came out around the same time, all the interfaces were pretty much similar. LucasArts tried to mix it up quite a bit. You go to Day of the Tentacle, which we haven't talked about yet, or Indiana Jones, those had a different type of interface. So LucasArts kind of went all over the place, whereas other guys just kind of stuck to, stuck to their guns. Which way's better? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's up to you. Uh, it's also a credit I find to the Scum game engine that these changes could be made relatively easily. So after kicking in a trailer door, knocking a guy out, contending with a junkyard dog, and evading gas tower security forces, Ben gets all the parts that Mo needs to fix his bike. Nice forks. Where'd you find them? Right next to the knives and spoons. Well, that's it. Wait outside for a minute and I'll finish her up. I'm working on a surprise. I hate surprises. All right, here she comes. Am I cool or what? You're amazing. I should crash that thing every day. So what's the surprise? Oh, just your average everyday pre-regulation destroyer class solid fuel recoil booster. You're serious? Yes. But only the vultures. I have my connections. Now, are you going to try this thing out or not? Ooh-wee. Wish I had a camera. I wish I had some way of paying you back. Just beat it, will ya? You're scaring away my regular customers. Bye, Mo. Send me a postcard from the ambush. Well, after one or two other minor issues, Ben hooks up with his gang and the plot thickens. It turns out the ambush wasn't for the polecats, it was for Malcolm Corley. At another rest stop, Rick Berger sneaks up behind Corley and hits him over the head with his cane, severely injuring the frail old man. Having heard about some type of ambush up ahead from Ben, Miranda, who's the reporter who actually saved Ben and brought her over to Mo, uh, is hiding in the bushes, taking pictures of the attack. 
She's found by Ripburger's henchmen, and her camera is confiscated. She escapes, but her camera remains in enemy hands, with the incriminating photos on them. This is the moment Ben decides to arrive. Ripburger sneaks off, and Ben finds Coralie on the ground. Now then, Malcolm, how about one for the road? Coralie? Coralie? Ben! I guess Rip Burger couldn't wait for natural causes. Just like him to hit a man when his flies down. <laughs> Rip Burger did this to you? Yeah, he knew I was dying. And he knew that my will would put him out of a job. He wants to take over Corley Motors, Ben. Sell it off to foreigners, lay off workers, start making minivans. You understand me? Minivans! Oh. You gotta hurt him for me, Ben. Promise me you'll hurt him bad. I promise. <coughs> I want my daughter to take over the company. You have a daughter? Yeah, and she's a real mechanical genius, Ben. Rebuilt her first carburetor when she was four. Eh, I used to call her the diaper dynamo. <coughs> Find my daughter, Ben. Find Maureen. Maureen? So... Mo is Corley's illegitimate daughter and the true heir to Corley Motors. The Polecats are framed for Corley's murder and jailed. Ben avoids catcher, but is now a fugitive from justice. He now is across the desert to Corville and Corley Motors headquarters to expose Ripburger's scheme. Ben does find Mo, but she takes off on her own bike. It turns out she is in fact a member of the Vulture's biker gang and is concerned that everyone is out to get her right now after an attack at her shack by uh, an unsuccessful attack at the very least by, uh, by one of Ripburger's henchmen. Along the way to Corville, Ben encounters other outlaw biker gangs. This part of the game brings us to the first arcade sequence of the game. Ben has to jump a gorge where the bridge was destroyed in a truck accident. To get the parts he needs to, uh, to make his bike boost over the jump, uh, he has to ride along the old mine road and defeat other bikers in biker-on-biker -biker combat. Initially, Ben only has his fists to fight with. With bare fists, it takes quite a few hits to down an enemy. As you defeat outlaw bikers, you acquire their weapons for your own use. Though you can really defeat most enemies with almost any weapon, there is one weapon in your arsenal that will one-shot each type of enemy you encounter. Now, there isn't a ton of strategy here, as many adventure gamers, many classic adventure gamers will tell you they truly hate these arcade sequences, so the developers tended to not make them overly challenging. But you can have fun with them, and frankly, they're not really that hard, like I just said. Unlike other LucasArts games, Ben can lose these fights. However, in keeping with the paradigm that we've established for LucasArts games, if you do lose, you simply kind of look up from the ground, get back on your bike, and try again. There is no dying in full throttle. We are here to tell a story and have a good time. So Ben jumps the gorge, and he and Maureen eventually reunite. Ben proves himself to be on Moe's side, and they, along with Moe's gang, the Vultures, expose Ripburger at the annual Corley shareholder meeting. All is well, and Ben and Moe ride off into the sunset. Yay, we've won! Not quite yet. As Ben and Moe enjoy their victory ride, a huge semi-truck roars up behind them and rear-ends Ben's bike. In his final battle, Ripburger sees his ultimate demise. 
You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... Okay, tech focus time. Full Throttle was one of the most advanced and well-executed scum-powered games. Like previous games, it sported 320 x 200, 256 color graphics. Now, this may not sound impressive, but the graphics in this game are really quite breathtaking. Whereas in a Sierra adventure like Gabriel Knight, where the graphics were pushed to their limit to look as realistic as possible, Full Throttle went the other direction. In Full Throttle, we are in a cartoon a dark and gritty cartoon filled with bad people living in a crappy world. Also, this game does another very interesting thing with its graphics. The characters are done in flat 2D. The sprites are very large on the screen, and despite the cartoony style, they are some of the most detailed in any LucasArts game. Animations of the characters are incredibly fluid. They're easily at the quality of broadcast animation. When characters are conversing, they gesture as if they're having a truly unique conversation. You're never struck with the thought that a sprite's just going through a default kind of movement conversation animation loop. Mo will gesture in exasperation, Ben will slam his fist into things. I can't be sure, but it seems as though character animations in this game are done for each and every interaction. There is no default loop. Maybe there's a walk cycle, maybe there's something else like that, but when there's a conversation happening, when there's specific action happening, that animation is custom. So it seems like there was a lot of work put into the animation in this game. The backgrounds are beautifully drawn 2D map paintings. They look incredible. But the coolest part is that all the vehicles in the game are rendered in full 3D. At times, the 2D characters are simply drawn onto the 3D bike models in, in kind of a perspective, which looks really cool. Other times, when Ben is on his bike, Rider and Bike will both be rendered in 3D, but for close-ups, it tends to be that there's a 3D vehicle with a 2D rider on it, and it's just, it's hard to explain. And the way I'm explaining it, it probably sounds like it looks bad, but it looks really cool. Also interestingly, though we've been saying the game was built in the Scum engine, the bike sequences with Ben on the road, riding, and fighting, like I explained before, were actually built using the Insane game engine, which was originally developed for the Rebel Assault games, another series that I'm gonna have to cover one of these days. Uh, so there was some kind of cool hybrid multi-engine action going on in here under the hood. Another truly unique and great aspect of the game is its music. The game music was composed primarily by Peter McConnell. McConnell was brought on to LucasArts by his Harvard friend and later co-worker Michael Land, who composed music for LucasArts from uh, kind of the early days. Together, the two composers developed LucasArts' well-known iMuse interactive music system, which is used in many of their games, including this one. The music in Full Throttle is most assuredly hard rock. Not only did McConnell compose the orchestral-type pieces, but he brought on hard rock band The Gone Jackals to really kick things up a notch. There are quite a few great Gone Jackals songs in the game, which really add a lot of energy and atmosphere to the world. This was one of the first, and I can say with confidence, probably one of the only LucasArts games that had an actual performing band 
brought in to add music to the game. It is truly special and truly unique. I'm going to be playing some Gone Jackals music kind of throughout, and uh, you know, it just really adds to this game. It is really a lot of fun. I'm not an incredible hard rock fan myself, but it works so well that you know, whether you like hard rock or you don't, it is awesome. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... So once again, we are on to Dev Story. And once again, I am amazed that in 21 episodes, I have not yet talked about a game by legendary game designer Tim Schafer. Yes, Full Throttle is a Tim Schafer game. So I guess we will do what we do, and we will begin at the beginning. Tim Schaefer was born in Sonoma, California, the youngest of five kids. His father was a doctor, and his mother was both a nurse and a librarian. He states in an interview that in high school, he never really attended any of the cool kid functions like uh, sporting events or dances, but he was in the computer club. Apparently, he almost became president of the computer club at Sonoma County High School, but then decided against taking up the position because it would mean then that everyone would know that he was in the computer club. Uh, the club was set up in a trailer behind the school where they had access to four TRS-80s. He also spent a lot of time on the Atari 2600 and then later on the Atari 400 and 800. He started programming on those here and there, some small things. And, uh, you know, once he got into college, he wasn't entirely sure what he wanted to major in. After some thought, however, he realized, well, hey, I know a little bit of programming. Computer science would probably be the most obvious and incredibly easy choice. I'm going to have a great time. I already know how to program. Well, that wasn't entirely the case. He basically flunked his first programming class, but he did end up pulling through and getting a computer science degree from UC Berkeley, just kind of, as he says, by the skin of his teeth. After school, he found a job open. He kind of looked around for jobs, didn't find much, until he came across uh, an opening with Lucasfilm Games. In his initial phone interview, he stated that he loved their game, Ball Blaster. Well, turns out, the real name of the game was Ball Blazer, and only the pirated version, which is the one that he had played, was known as Ball Blaster. So he effectively said he loved their game enough to steal it, but not to buy it. He apologized and was told he could send in his application with cover letter anyways. To make up for his gaffe, he wrote his cover letter in the form of a text adventure game with some rudimentary drawings that seemed to do the trick, and they gave him the job. So, the new grad had his dream job. He was working at Skywalker Ranch. I mean, what geek would not want to work for Lucasfilm Games? And he even said at that time, uh, the Lucasfilm Computer Division still had Pixar kind of integrated into it. So, there was all that kind of very early stuff of high graphics rendering. He's like, he was in heaven. So, in theory, this sounded great. But when he actually got into the job, well, things were a little bit different. So, he was hired on as a game programmer. They didn't really have any specific tasks set out for the new developers. All they knew was that they wanted more devs and that they would eventually use them for some reason or another. So his first task as a game programmer was to test the uh, to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the action game. Then there was testing for Loom. Uh, so, you know, a lot of game testing, a lot of QA, a lot of finding bugs and reporting bugs and not a ton of game programming. But all this time, he and the other new hires 
were being shown around the world of scum scripting using the stock Sam and Max art it kind of put into that test environment drawn by Steve Purcell that I talked about way back in episode one. This was long before the actual Sam and Max game came out. Uh, he was then tapped to work on Monkey Island. Uh, he worked on a very cool ship combat system that was never included in the game. And uh, he did actually end up writing quite a bit of dialogue for that game. It, it turned out that he, he was actually quite a good writer, quite a funny writer, and uh, he was tapped to, to write some dialogue. He then rolled into more writing immediately on Monkey Island 2. So his great work on those previous games afforded him the opportunity to co-produce his first project, the sequel to Maniac Mansion called Day of the Tentacle. That game became a critical success, and he was asked to pitch five more games. Uh, he did so. Among them were sequels to Day of the Tentacle, sequel to Monkey Island, a Day of the Dead game, and a biker game. Management decided they wanted to go ahead on this so-called biker game. Well, right there, Full Throttle was born. Tim had heard a lot of stories from a friend uh, of his about some bikers that he'd met at a biker bar in Alaska. Uh, it seemed to him like this crazy kind of alternative fantasy. Uh, he then took a look at the bulk of the characters he had put into his games thus far. We have Bernard from Day of the Tentacle, Guyver's Threepwood from, uh, from Monkey Island, and, uh, you know, he noticed a bit of a trend. Most of them were these kind of nice, relatable, sort of lovable losers, as he put it. For full throttle, he wanted to go the other way. He wanted the main character to be cooler and more awesome than the player was. Not be someone they could relate to or feel bad for, but someone who they could aspire to be. So with his characters, his concept, and everything all hammered down, he went on to development and production. Well, akin to Gabriel Knight on the Sierra side of things, Full Throttle was also shot like a movie, or at the very least like an animated feature. It was the first game to use primarily SAG-registered actors. I mean, just look at this list. We have Roy Conrad as Ben. He did a lot of voice work in other LucasArts games, in addition to roles in Casino, The Fan, Pink Cadillac, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, and others. Rip Burger, even though you may not recognize the voice, is played by none other than Mark Hamill, who was already getting very well known in the voiceover community by that time, not to mention his other fairly strong link to, uh, to LucasArts and Lucasfilm in general. Hamilton Camp played Malcolm Corley. He has a huge repertoire of TV and voiceover work, including ER, the Disney Aladdin animated series, Titus, and much more. He apparently was even controller wreck in the Star Trek Voyager episode Extreme Risk. So there we even have a, a Star Trek connection to this game. There are also quite a few actors who would move on to Futurama, including Kath Susie. She voices Moe in Full Throttle and does a few Futurama voices, including that of Hubert Farnsworth, uh, the professor's son. Maurice LaMarche plays Nestor, one of uh, he's Ripburger's driver. He plays Calculon and a couple of other voices on Futurama, and uh, he's also done voices on The Simpsons, as has Tress McNeil, who plays Susie, leader of the Vultures. There are more, but all this to say that this was no slouch of a production. There were no bobs from accounting doing any voices in this game, and you can most certainly tell. I'd put up the acting and the writing in full throttle to any voice acting on TV today or in other games. It's that well done. Meshed with the broadcast level animation, we have a truly great visual story here, even today. According to Tim Schafer, there was one point in the game 
where Ben was supposed to experience a peyote-induced drug trip. There was supposed to be this cool mini-game in that sequence, which has been, uh, which was dropped for, I guess, reasons that remain unclear. Now, this may have been for the best, because Schaefer tells a story that this minigame was the impetus for uh, his hit game, Psychonauts. Also, though it's never mentioned in the game, Tim Schaefer sticks to his guns saying that Ben's last name is Throttle, so his full name is Ben Throttle. It's believed that LucasArts Legal stopped this as the animated show Biker Mice from Mars also had a character in it named Throttle. The manual refers to Ben simply as Ben What's-His-Name. Full Throttle released to generally favorable reviews. Negative points were similar to those of Loom, that uh, the game was fairly short and the puzzles are not very challenging. Uh, you know, these aren't unfounded. You can burn through this game in less than two hours. I did, playing it for this show. And yes, the solution to the vast majority of puzzles are indeed readily apparent. Though, uh, there are some puzzles later in the game that are quite challenging. <laughs> At least they are for an idiot like me. Uh, despite these issues, the game continues to enjoy a cult following to this day. Now we get to the sad part. Similar to Sam and Max, Full Throttle had a lot of trouble with sequels. In 2000, LucasArts began work on Full Throttle Payback, a direct sequel to the 1995 game. Tim had already left the company, so the project was given to Larry Ahern. By 2001, due to differences of opinion and potential pressure from upper management, the game was cancelled. It was to be another adventure game where Ben was fighting for bikers' rights against a large company who wanted to replace all paved highways with hover pads, making them inaccessible to bikes and truckers. One year after the cancellation in 2002, Full Throttle Hell on Wheels was announced. This game was to focus more on fighting with smaller elements of adventure thrown in. This game was to have Ben protecting his old stomping ground of El Nada from the threat of a new biker gang. Well, it turns out there's more to it than that, and soon they uncover a hidden villain and a much deeper plot. Development on this game progressed until late 2003, with a demo releasing at E3 that year. Shortly thereafter, it was abruptly cancelled by LucasArts, citing poor graphics when compared to the competition. With these two false starts, it doesn't appear that there are any plans to continue the series. LucasArts owns the rights, Schaefer is busy with his work at Double Fine, so for the moment it appears that the original game is all that we're going to get. Put my head in a basket, cause I'd had a tank full. When she blow my gasket, I surely was thankful. Till I head for the skies up above. It's a woman with wheels that I love. So where can we get Full Throttle today? Well, again, like Sam and Max and many other LucasArts adventures, there is sadly nowhere to legally get a digital download of Full Throttle. It looks like there are some discs available on eBay between $15 and $20, and of course there are less above-board ways to acquire it as well. Whichever way you go about getting it, I was able to get it up and running without any issues at all under ScumVM, and the game ran flawlessly throughout. So if you can find it, it is incredibly easy to play on both Mac or PC. Wayne Henderson here, and I am excited to have three of the top Fringe Division agents with us today. So, since we're here, we might as well take advantage of the situation and just talk about about how the Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan podcast is proud to be podcasting about this fifth and final season of the TV show Fringe. 
Oh, I'm sorry if at this moment when the universe is collapsing, I forgot the magic word. For magic word, you meant fringecastingpodcast.com, right? Well, let's not jump to conclusions. I'm not. I don't really know what to say. It's all right, Olivia. You go ahead and fight the Baldies with Etta out on the fringe, and I'll remind our friends to check out the Fringe Casting Podcast at fringecastingpodcast.com. Now, I'm off to get my co-host Dan out of some amber. Thank you for your attention and have a nice day. And egg sticks. So we arrive once again at the big question of the show. Does Full Throttle hold up today? Well, here's my opinion. As an adventure game to play through every once in a while, yes, it does. I treat this game like I treat a favorite movie. I come to it once in a while to replay it. Once you know what to do in the game, it only takes about two hours to go through. And for me, experiencing this story is just like going back and rewatching something like uh, The Shawshank Redemption. It's not something I do very often, but when I do it, it is incredibly satisfying and incredibly enjoyable. Yes, the game is short. Yes, the puzzles are easy. Yes, the arcade sequences can be frustrating and kludgy to control when compared to a modern game, but the graphics still hold up, the voice acting is top-notch, as good as any game out today, uh, the twists and turns of the plot are fun, this is a game you really should play through at least one time. I mean, there's a lot I didn't mention. This is LucasArts game, there's tons of Star Wars references, there's a lot of humor, there's a lot of snark and sarcasm, it's just a lot of fun. So give it a whirl, please. So that's that for another week. Thank you so much to everyone for staying with me throughout this little ride. Next time around, I'm going to head back to Simulation Town with Roller Coaster Tycoon. This is one that uh, I've always enjoyed for a long time. I know it's a personal favorite of my brother's. And God, who doesn't love a good roller coaster? So uh, I'm really excited to talk about that. As usual, you can send me emails or audio comments either regarding Full Throttle, Roller Coaster Tycoon for next week, or anything else you want to chat about to podcast at umbcast.com. You can either drop me a text email, you can drop me an MP3 or you know phone memo attachment or anything like that. If it can play on a computer, I can play it on the show. So I love your emails. I love your audio comments. Send them in. Thanks once again to Rick Moyer for both his great audio work on the show and his voicemail this week. You can find him, as I said earlier on, over at moyermultimedia.com. You can check out the show notes for this show and all of the others at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash umbcast. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash umbshow and me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476 where I say inane things about my life and how tired I am. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. Drop us or me at the very least a review on either of those services, the more reviews I get, the more people get to hear about the show and come and enjoy things with us. So that is all. That is that. And I will see you next time for Roller Coaster Tycoon here in the Upper Memory Block. The population is greatly decreased. 
And now the odds are greatly increased That I may someday get a chance To kiss your lips I thank the Lord each day For the apocalypse Folks are mostly disfigured or dead But sugar, I won't let it go to my head My mama's face has dripped down into the dirt But I'm still chasing Chitlin's whiskey and skirt Control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join.